I think building a startup is such a um, an easy, not an easy bet. It's a, to me, it doesn't feel like a risky bet at all. There are other things in life that are way more riskier. Even if if even if your product fails or something that you did fails, even let's say you raised money and then your plot, uh, your your startup blew up and you know now you're back at zero. The fact that you've done that work to get your product from like zero, uh, completely from scratch to raising money and then failing, you actually come out ahead of 99% of other developers that are out there that have never done this thing. Anytime you have a project that you built out and it failed, you actually come out just by the virtue of living through it, your skill set, your mentality, your charisma, your... um your brand brand comes out ahead of everybody else that didn't actually try at all. Hello, hello. I would like to personally welcome you to the very first episode of the Joy of Building podcast. I can't tell you how extremely excited I am to have you here. So ever since I was laid off from a tech job in the midst of pandemic in 2020, I've been building a lot of things. And initially it was simply because I wanted to build things to try to make enough money to sustain myself. But during the process, I discovered something deeper and larger that even when I built something that turned out to be a complete dud, I noticed that I still experienced a lot of childlike joy and a subtle inner transformation. And that is what I call the joy of building. And I can't think of a better person to interview as my first guest, as my friend, Suk Paul Saini, or Suk. Suk is one of the co-founders of a startup called Engine, a platform that is simplifying SEO for folks. To me, Sooks is someone who truly embodies the builder spirit. In the past eight years, he has built and shipped over 30 products. So in this episode, we'll talk about how his journey as a founder in Toronto started with a failure, how he approached learning and iterating from his mistakes, why he thinks that building a startup is not a risky bet. And finally, why he thinks SEO is a really beautiful thing. I'd love to hear your thoughts as you listen to this episode. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Tao. Tag me, let me know your thoughts. If you're here on YouTube, please don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. If you have, please leave a comment below. And that's not for me. Let's dive in. Um, yeah, I so I was born in India. Um, I came to Canada about seven, eight years ago, right after I did uh, my grade 12 in India. And basically how engineering works in India is you have an exam, which is a nationalized exam called IIT. Um, mm -hmm. is, it's kind of like the, the medical exam that you have, uh, MCAT. So everyone does it. And based on the rank that you get, that's how uh, you get to pick a college, right? So college based on your rank will take you in. But those exams are very hard. <laughs> I wasn't a really good student. I, I tried my best, but I couldn't get anywhere close. So here was in grade 12, I did that exam. I prepped for it. So students prepped for it uh, for like two or three years just to get, you know, just to be able to pass that and, and get a good rank. Um, I didn't get a great rank. It wasn't horrible. Um, but then the problem that became when I wanted to go to a college, I couldn't get in anywhere uh, because all the good ones have been taken taken up. And so I didn't have any other choice. Uh, I turned to my mom and I said, mom, I really want to be an engineer. I want to do something like cool. I just don't want to be, you know, just going to school just for the hell of it. Um, so is there something I can do? And so I've already had through some different circumstances, I already actually had a citizenship to Canada. Uh, mm. I just wasn't here. Um, and I, I 
that whole summer i tried to convince my mom and dad to be like let me just go let me just go see what what happens there like what i i'll, I'll do everything or and anything because i know money is a big problem yeah. um and so lo and behold they agreed i came to canada um and they told me to i have to do grade 12 again um right. and i was like that's a price i have to pay then i then you know fine um yeah. and so that's where i did grade 12 and then did uh, my York University, I went for school and got into IBM and so on and so forth. It was a, ver it was a very valid investment. I was, I'm pretty grateful for it. Yeah, that's amazing, man. I mean, there's two things I want to ask about that. One is, you know, when you didn't do that well on a test, which, which um, I can imagine as being uh, really difficult. And there's there must be a part of you that felt Obviously, if you're dis disappointed, I can imagine all the negative emotions like, I don't know, shame and fear, uh, relating that to self-worth. First of all, how were you able to still be almost like confident enough to be like, hey, even though this state test tells me I'm quote unquote bad at this, but I want to yeah. do this. I believe I can do this or I still really want to do it. What, where did that perseverance come from? Yeah, you know. I think thinking back, it's it probably was just knowing that. So the IIT exam, by the way, uh, it's comprised yeah. of three things. Um, it comprises of chemistry, physics, and math. Um, though right. that's what you're tested on. And just to my mind, it just didn't relate. Why, if I was good at all these three things, that I would be able to build a startup, or like I would be able to build mm -hmm. uh, some sort of software product. It just didn't hit my it hit, it hit with me, and so. If I didn't get into this exam, that doesn't mean that I'm bad at doing these things. It just means that they're testing me on something that's like completely different. And even if the, if it was, the fact is I'm not good enough for this test, right? So I have to do other things to get to the place that I want to be at um, because every other lane is kind of closed to me. So I have no choice but to persevere. Um, mm. And plus, because I already had this route, it's uh, coming to Canada is like a very difficult task. And I already yeah. had kind of that process with me. So I knew um, if I just tried it, it I wouldn't be worse than where I was right now. Mm. And so I think that kind of like motivated me to keep going. Wow. Yeah, I love that. I. I love that you were able to kind of zoom out and not let those metrics of what the tests were, were, were gauging you on and relating that to some kind of that, that ultimate skill set that you were trying to build and, and, and aspire to, right? The type of person you inspire to. I think that speaks to a lot of, I don't know, a lot of just vision for what you want to do. And, and you know, look, look at you now. It, it's just really awesome. The second part of that question was, I can imagine that little kid who had to, that, that must have been a pretty big pitch, right? Saying, hey, I still want to do this. I want to spend more money and I want you to believe in me and I want to move to somewhere completely new. Um, um, what, what was that pitch like? Like how, yeah. I remember it was it wasn't anything like great. It wasn't like a single pitch. It was a lot of um, a lot of groveling. I think that was that was that was a big part of it. Um, and the other thing was just kind of my confidence of being like, okay, mom, I know it will cost let's say ten k a semester, right? And yeah. just kind of like doing the math backwards of like how I would make that 10k to make it worth your while like i wouldn't cause even more problems for us um yeah. like doing those calculations and kind of being like look this is what i can do every day i can work like eight out eight dollars an hour and can you know i can like there's there's a way uh where i can actually do this um and i think she believed me enough um and you know what maybe maybe she was more like let's just give it a shot right what could go wrong he comes back and we never have to go through this again. You know, the problem sort of solves itself. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm very grateful for my parents to be able to give me this opportunity as well, because I can almost understand, you know, because we actually had spent money in a college. So I actually did go to a college for a very little while for like, I think a month or two. And I just immediately knew this wasn't it for me. So we had already spent money on a college as well. 
And so part of my pitch was, I will actually go to the college, tell them that, you know, I don't want to be here anymore, get a refund and then use that money. Um, mm. And so one of my, one of my first steps was actually going to the Dean of the college with like, kind of like an application being like, why I don't want to be here. Um, mm. And he actually, I, I'm assuming a lot of people, a lot of people come, come through his door with a similar pitch. Uh, he was very receptive and he did say that you can take part of the refund. So all those three things combined, um, I think it made it a little bit, the 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 luck, the part of the thing was luck as well. Um, I think all those things combined kind of in my mom's head, it was like, oh, you know what? It's worth a shot. Yeah. Wow, definitely. Shout out to your parents for, well, giving you that 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 shot and, and hearing hearing that need of just wanted to try things out right you were also just like wanted to experiment to shoot that shot um and i love yeah. that how, how it turned out um so i also want to ask because i saw it on your resume that and i was very intrigued about it which was uh, tell me about your experience as a security guard for a very brief brief period in your life yeah, yeah, it was. That was actually one of my first jobs um, that I got. I think I summer I went around. So the same summer I came to Canada, I was hell bent on getting a job. I was yeah. in grade 12, didn't have any skills, didn't know. Like a resume is a very, very new thing as well for me. Um, so I was going around the mall, kind of giving up my uh, my resume and, and there weren't any like takers. Um, right. So I heard that security guard was a big thing in 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 Toronto so you can actually get a license so you need a license after doing a test and um then the way it works is you just register for a security guard company and anytime they you know uh any event was going on they will need a ton of security guards at one time so you'll get called and you can kind of get worked that way um mm -hmm. And so there's a so I worked a couple of different places I worked a couple of different malls in in Toronto um, yeah. But the most noticeable one, or notable one, was I, I, I spent a night at the Facebook headquarters in Toronto. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I was doing a security uh, position overnight. So there was nobody there. And the headquarters was completely empty. Wow. Um, there was, I, I think they had just sort of like moved their location somewhere else. And you could see sort of the remnants of you know, people being there and, and, and innovation being done. Um, yeah. So I could, I was just walking around being like, oh man, there's like a wall of like everybody's names and like different like things that have been done here. And wow. I just tried to take that in. And I remember thinking, man, it'd be so cool if I actually was working here, not as security guard, as a regular employee. Um, wow. But that was, uh, I, 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 it kind of put me in my head of like, oh, you know what? I am in this building technically. I just now need to be an employee, which should be a, a smaller deal. Um, so I ended up like the, the next couple of jobs I applied to Meta or Facebook was always the top one. Wow. That's so cool how that security guard job put, you know, accidentally put you in actually a tech office and I can imagine yeah. well, how it felt. Right. But also like allows you to kind of visualize it. You're like, Hmm. I'm going to sit in that seat someday. You know, I'm going to be doing whatever kind of coding. I'm going to, it's not, it's like a, a, a leap, but it's not that far, right? Be able to like comprehend that in your brain. Exactly. I think wow. visualization or visualizing kind of, um, you know, even, even something like, so if you were building an app, right? And you can mm. visualize, oh, okay, this will be used by the entire world. Mm. It, it can technically, but in your head, you can't tell it. But let's say if you go to, let's say Italy, and you see mm. a person on their phone kind of using your app, that's mind blowing. So, yeah. um, uh, so when you look, when you visualize something, your brain kind of connects the dots in between of like how that mm. would happen. Uh, mm. Even if it's obvious, it's just a powerful thing. And I think over my career, over my lifetime, I've tried doing the visualization thing. Um, Facebook, that, that security guard thing being the very potent one that I still remember. Um, so I, I always encourage people to do that. Definitely. I love that. I lo love that note too. Um, and I, I, I myself do that a lot as a product manager and I started to combine that with, 
with my also my sense of observation, right? Because visualization, you're imagining the the workflow when they click on it, how they do it, which finger they use, right? But yeah, I remember because I live in New York City and I see people using I don't know Instagram the phones a lot on the subways, and I would just love seeing like, whoa, how do you interact with your phone and try to combine two elements, come up with more, let's say, pre predictable visualization of how that behavior looks. But for you. You mentioned about how you're able to kind of take that into building some of your products, right? Or even thinking about this little feature or this little, I know you also like to be very um, thoughtful and intentional about your design. How has that visualization shape kind of those things you implement? How, how do you usually process that? Yeah, that's, I think the best product managers or product designers have mm. a very specific person in their head that's using mm. their software. So yeah. The way we do it right now is we have a, a we're lucky enough to have a few customers and mm -hmm. most of them are super fans. So whenever we make team decisions on a design feature or just a feature in general, we think, okay, how would this person, this specific person that we know in our life use this thing? Right. right. And so what we can say is, oh, you know, he's uh, 25 years old, so he probably doesn't use MySpace, for example. You know what I mean? Um, and so like, he probably wouldn't think that way. And yeah. so by having a very specific persona and like a living person, um, that, you know, decisions, specifically product decisions can be very easily vetted. Yes or no. Versus if you were to just say, let's put this feature out. Someone in the world will like it, which is kind of true, but mm. that it just, th th there's so much to unpack it so much different mm. so many different like avenues you can go down and now you're building each feature for a different kind of person in the world versus mm. the one that you're serving today and that you can actually name um so that's been the way i've um it, it, it actually simplifies your product decision very quickly <laughs> it's because like does this person like would like would, would they like it or not yes okay let's go no they probably wouldn't let's do something else yeah, amazing. I mean, the fact that you're able to like take pride that you have some super fans is, is such a good feeling, right? It, it means that like, while you have like a feedback loop that you can really trust and really help with that process you just described, right? How, how did you find these super fans? Like how, because I know in, in your building journey, you have talked a little bit about like, just learning the importance of selling, right? Getting that whatever early validation of product market fit but just be able to get that signal um for engine how how did you guys go about getting your first super fans and also um yeah what were some of the most positive either encouragement or testimonials have you heard that just i don't know that you keep in your best that it really warms your heart and and, and inspires you to kind of wake up every day yeah um uh, funny enough we just got a testimonial last night yeah. Uh, from one of our super fans and I was looking at it and it's kind of surreal to see somebody speak so highly of your work. I, I, <laughs> I personally can't handle it. So, so <laughs> I think it's a personal thing, but yeah. it, it, it really feels like you're delivering value when somebody puts in the work to say that back to you, because even saying, even though it might seem like, you know, just a text, it takes real intention behind uh, the person saying it plus because they have to believe it and for them to believe it, they need to see it working. So if you check a lot of those boxes, then you get the feedback, then you get the testimonial. It's really kind of a receipt for the work that you've done, you know, two months ago, one month ago. Yeah. Um, the way we got our first 10 customers was actually building in public on Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. So initially I was, so I've been a developer for a long, long time, and I've been building for a long, long time as well. One of my biggest problems was I could always build, just never be able to market or sell. Hmm. And this is a very common problem for all um, developer founders, I think. Uh, you know what? The most majority of the, of, of the people I've spoken to, that is their biggest problem because it just doesn't come naturally to us, right? Yeah. And so... I was trying to figure out a way to solve this problem of my own. And I ended up just tweeting about it on Twitter just continuously for a while. And lo and behold, that's where we got a couple of like four or five of our initial sort of customers that took a look at the product and uh, some decided to pay, some didn't. But 
that was our initial kind of breakthrough of like me just sharing what I'm building and people being like, oh, you know what? I think I can use this, uh, which yeah. is, I think of if you're looking for, if you're like a early product builder and a dev founder, that is the way to get your customers. Um, yeah. I wouldn't recommend kind of doing, you know, th there's other things, but I think that's the most potent one. Um, but oh. now my co-founder is the one that uh, has all these relationships with marketing founders and, you know, tech startups in uh, Toronto. So, he, so now he does most of the heavy lifting, which I'm very grateful for. Got it. That's, that's so cool. Um, and you talked about like that, that moment you realize that, you know, being the kind of builder who wants to, well, be a little scrappy, but also get a lot of feedback. Like that idea of like building public is it's like a, it's a really hard shift, right? It's like a pretty humble lesson, but it, it takes almost like a really, like something to click in your head. So when was it that you decided like, hey, instead of always just spending time, you know, building, you know, being, being my own computer and, and just building products days on end and not talking about it. What was that moment that clicked for you? What, and why did you start talking about this, even this early iteration of building in public? You know, this is the insight that every founder sort of comes about after yeah. they've failed. <laughs> um, so if you ever see like a developer founder that you think has, has, is killing it, they'll have yeah. one of these stories, which I'm about to tell you, which is yeah. I built something and I spent a lot of time on it and nobody wanted to use it. So wow. I, I think 2016, 2017 was... Um, was when I started building this app called Newsion, which was Spotify for news. So mm -hmm. the idea was you would wake up every morning um, and based on the topics that you've selected, it can gather the news from across the world uh, and put it into like a tiny podcast that you can listen to as you you know commute to your workday. Um, I did all the, the quote unquote, the right things, which is talking to people before you start building it. So I had... I gathered up my friends and family, kind of like had a chat with them and 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 kind of made the mistakes along the way, which is how much would you pay? And, uh, you know, they said, oh, you know, I'll be, I'll be okay with paying $5 a month kind of deal. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, perfect. I took that as verbatim and I started building and I started building and building and building. And suddenly it was a year and a half of me just building th this like uh, app. Um, wow. It did launch on... on um, Android and, and play and Apple store uh, had a couple of users, sort of early people trying it out, but nobody was really like one, they couldn't find any value in it, which was concerning. And number two was there was not even a single talk about charging for it because it wasn't delivering any value. Um, and then my, my thing was, okay, you know what? It probably doesn't work for these folks that are around me. Let me do a product hunt launch because that's how you win. You know, you build a product, you launch a product hunt, and then you're a millionaire yeah. next day. Um, <laughs> I put it up, and I think I put it up, and there's always one upvote. Then I, I then I created another account. I gave myself an upvote. Now there were two, and for the whole day, uh, I think it hovered around like six, seven upvotes, yeah. and I was very discouraged. You know, you spend wow. all your all your thinking time on this one thing every weekend for the last year and a half, I was thinking about this thing. I was building this wow. thing and just to yeah. see it kind of fall flat. I think it's still on my product hunt history and I scroll to it sometimes. Um, and I think it ended the day with like 12 upvotes. Hmm. And th that was a payback of like all the work that I had put in. And I just wow. thought to myself, th th this is not right. Right, mm. the the not just the ROI, but just the respect isn't there either, right? I, I gotta <laughs> yeah. make people care about this. Yeah. Um, so that's when it I I turned off the coding side of my brain because you know that's something I've been doing every day for the last like as a career and just like a, as a hobby of myself for the last eight ten years. That part I know I can do. The parts that are completely missing is this marketing, the sales part of it, and even the design part of it, which I have zero experience with. Um, mm. 
So I decided to just assume that my coding was a black box, right? That if I could feed it instructions, a product would come out of it one way or the other. So I actually don't even need to think about it in my equation. What I do right. need to think about is this marketing and sales part. So the next thing I built or the next thing I, I, I tried to uh, make money off of was taking an existing product and trying to do the marketing and sales for it. Oh. Um, so I, I, I think I'm one of my buddies went to, uh, um, you know, those, uh, market market, uh, like local markets, there was mm-hmm. in Toronto, there was a local market that was selling, um, blueberry flavored honey. Oh yeah. I it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, if you ever had it, like you put it on a toast, it tastes amazing. Wow. But I was like, Oh, you know what? Let me just take these. And they sell a white label version of this. I can like actually take that, put them on my own packaging and try to sell this. And yeah. let me see if I can actually do it. Because if I can take a pre-built product and sell it, that means that I'm learning these other things that I don't know about. Um, long story short, we bought 50, 60 jars of this thing and yeah. we sold it in our office. <laughs> like on my office desk, me and my buddy would just sell it, sell it there in lunch breaks. Um, and so we were able to sell the whole 50, 60, uh, jars in like a couple of weeks. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you mentioned this, well, first of all, I want to just, I love that the mentality you had afterward. Cause I, I can, I, I was trying to be in your shoes and just like trying to imagine all those emotions, right? Like all that time you spent and then the product hunt result and product hunt uh, uh, upvote isn't even like a very good metric, right? It's like, it's just like, oh, it's just like a little like. So the fact that you weren't even getting that many likes must have felt yeah. just it's so debilitating. <laughs> just like 12? Like, come on. Yeah. Um, so I was just sitting with that and trying to imagine that emotion. And, but what I admire so much is, is basically your resilience, right? Be able to be like, okay, something needs to change. And you were able to even think about like, okay, how do I, how do I um, take a baby step of changing and, and, and practice something which you mentioned was this marketing aspect, the selling aspect, and then you were able to kind of pivot to an experience that wasn't even software, wasn't even like really tech product based, right? And yeah, what were also, what were some of the things during that experiment that you guys done? You mentioned about like putting the label, obviously having a product, an inventory, but what were also some things that you were doing either selling wise, either marketing this, this blueberry, what were the things that you tried and what? Yeah, it was actually, um, honestly, what I wanted to try was word of mouth. So, and and the office was a great place. Um, And by the way, I worked at an internet IBM. So uh, everyone around me was kind of my age or a little bit older. Um, So what we would do is we would do, uh, you know, walk up to people and be like our friends and be like, oh, you know, um, we're selling this like honey thing. It's really good. Do you want to come try (laughs) it on our desk? And, you know, we would have like a tiny toast and a a tiny spoon (laughs) as well. And, you know, they'll just try it. And it's something that's like not that well known. Even I didn't know about that. You can have like different flavors of honey like that. Um, yeah. And it's a unique taste as well. But that actually giving them the first hit <laughs> worked really, really well. Because yeah. now you can just say, oh, you know, it's $5 or like $7, whatever that is. Um, here's a jar. And they take it and they try it. And obviously it's good. They, they come back with good things. But now you go to the next person and say, Oh yeah, we're selling this thing. By the way, you know, X from uh, accounting bought from us yesterday, nice. right? And so when you're in a tight knit community and there's a word of mouth, it's all it becomes almost like, why would I not buy this thing? Mm. Um, and so that's the way it kind of like spread around until to the point where one of our friends was having a bunch of people coming over. I think it was for a celebration. Um, some sort of celebration that his family members were, were coming in from different places to this one spot. And he was like, can I get 20 of these? Wow. I, I've been, Damn. I've been, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, he, we had sold him a jar. He liked it. And he was like, you know, my friends and family are coming over. I need them. I, I need to give some sort of a souvenir something, something cool that they can take back. And I think the honey would be a great thing. And so, within like a couple of minutes we we sold them like 20 jars and so just doing all those things i would have never done this with my software the the newsion app that i had built but being able to just separate myself from the product and just purely thinking 
uh, about how to move this thing, the isolation part really helped me understand the power of word of mouth, the referrals, mm -hmm. all that kind of things. Because mm -hmm. if I was still a software founder, I would have been mm -hmm. like, my first thing would have been like, what other features I can add? And the reality is it doesn't matter how many features I can add. It's not going to do anything. Nobody's mm -hmm. going to find it. And so by, by isolating, kind of like when you go to a gym, right? And you do chest one day, you're only yeah. doing marketing for this one one uh, product. That's all you're doing. You don't have control over the product. You don't have control over anything else. Just mm. the marketing part. Yeah. Yeah. Say more about this isolation because I find that really interesting. Like how do you, let's say even today as a founder, how do you think about that? And how do you practice that? Do you try to, just like that gym metaphor, right? Do you almost like switch modes? Like you're like, let's say you give yourself a deep work of like two, two hours, three hours. And then after that, you're, you're, you're going to switch to your biceps, which is your marketing. Right. And then you, and this is where you, you start thinking on that hat, you start visualizing, you start tweeting. How do you practice the isolation and, and what you do today? The way I was doing it and the way I do it today is a little bit different, kind of the same sure. though, where you actually don't carve. I, I don't believe in carving out X number of hours for X, X skill. I, yeah. I feel like you really have to swim in it, dive deep into this one thing. If you're going to do marketing, if you're going to learn about it. It's yeah. not enough to just practice it or like try to do it, but consume it, right? So um, go out and listen to YouTube tutorials or like YouTube tutorials on marketing, um, but then listen to people like great marketers, Seth Godin, for example, read books about them, right? Um, yeah. Obviously, practicing is another one. And you basically want to swim into the topic as much as you can. Um, that goes for marketing. That goes for copywriting. That also goes for uh, design as well. Uh, any of these skills, if you want to like just learn design, you have to start listening to uh, a podcast I was listening to yesterday was how linear uh, the project management tool kind of makes, uh, how, how, how they craft the product because it's a very beautiful product. Um, so you have to go listen to those kind of things, uh, then watch tutorials on Figma, and then actually try to do make a thing on Figma, and then also go uh, maybe to some apps that you respect and try to recreate them on Figma. Uh, and, and so that's the only way. And you do that consistently for, let's say, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. That's the only way you can really isolate your, your muscle. Um, otherwise, I feel like it's mostly because... If you carve out, let's say, four or five hours to do marketing, you actually don't mm. know anything about it. So it doesn't really matter how much you want to try to do it. It's just not going to happen. You're just not uh, in that mindset. A person mm. that you can follow that does this really, really well uh, is mm -hmm. Peter Wang on uh, on Twitter. I think he's a complete beast at this. Um, what he does is he does X number of day challenges on a specific skill. I think right now he's building, he's designing mobile apps on Figma. So every yeah. day he just picks, uh, let's say Instacart app and then tries to one-to-one -one recreate that screen in Figma. And I think that's a great way of, of flexing that muscle very specifically. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. Um, and that parts of that resonate with me, you know, as a, as a journalist who likes to have kind of a broader domain knowledge across different things like from design to to um you know building with no code things like that one thing that i that i i often think about or even struggle with is thinking about how because i also want to build skill sets that in a way like i want to almost do it for 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 like the next five years right that's maybe how i think about when it comes to consistency like Hey, this is something I want to be just a tiny bit better each month. But as long as I just uh, stretch out the time frame, like I can give myself that room. So, how would you compare that with what you just talked about, which is like it's more, um, almost like more in sprints, right? Saying like, hey, well, now we're gonna be swimming in this pool, this waters, and just be really knee deep and and just like be um, very involved with it versus like doing just a bit of it each day. How do you, I don't know, how do you compare those two? And um, what, what is your what are your stance on that? 
Yeah. I mean, that's a number one thing is actually being intentional about it. So that's great that you're saying, you know, in five years, I need to be better at this, at this one specific thing. Um, In terms of actual execution, I feel that the first 30, 60 days that you're swimming in it, you're actually getting yourself familiarized with the jargon, with the best practices, with just like the the mindset, the, the basics that you're missing. Now, the basics of marketing or copywriting is are pretty simple, actually. You know, there's a specific way of writing and consistency is another one. But there's not it's not a like a biology or rocket science course where you have to sit in it for like X number of years before you can really understand it. So you can get yeah. up to speed with it pretty quickly. What you're doing in those uh, first 30, 60 days, it's just getting your mind aligned with what's expected from a marketer, from a designer, right? So Mm -hmm. once you have all the context, then you can start carving out that X number of hours for design. And because you already have the context and you already know where the, if you get stuck, who to find. Um, So for example, right now, I I do writing as well every day, right? Um, And I find Justin Walsh's writing to be amazing. And so if Mm -hmm. I sit down for three hours and I get, if I get stuck, to get unstuck, I just go to Justin Walsh or Jacob yeah. Greenfeld. He's another writer that I really respect. So I, I just go back to their thing and I get unstuck and I just continue on. Um, but th- the reason I, I can do that is because I've spent that 30, 60 days um, learning about them, learning who they are uh, and swimming in their their, their knowledge pool, whatever they put out uh, and just knowing marketing in general, right? Uh, because of, of those basics, I can actually sit on a, on a three-hour time block and actually try to execute it every day. So I think the the way I would execute is if you don't know anything about a discipline, spend 30, 60 days swimming in it, podcasts, yeah. books, um, practicing it yourself, looking at how other people have done it, all that kind of stuff. And then once you're comfortable with it, then you can start doing time blocks and being more consistent every day until yeah. the five-year mark. Mm. I love that advice and I love that you're connecting those two and just highlighting the importance of each part of that learning, right? Um, mm-hmm. Well, you, I think something that's been really clear to me in, in your journey is that you're someone who's definitely very, has an incredible student mentality, right? In terms of like, hey, well, one, it's fun to learn and I want to learn how to learn. Like you said, you, you that was a framework of how you approach learning. You know, but, you know, tying back to what you, we, we started with, you even mentioned that, you know, in, in during at least the 12 year school, during that period, you didn't felt like you were the best student who knew how to, to take tests or, 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 or I don't know, do, do those homework, things like that. Where do you think that student mentality came from? How did you became, how did you became the type of student that wants to just keep learning for the sake of joy or, or exploration or improvement? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's honestly, so I'm not a super religious person, yeah. um, but I am a Sikh. And the word Sikh uh, literally mm. means to learn. Wow. Uh, it just, it just, the word for learn is a Sikh. And which is yeah. the reason why you would have a Sikh uh, who's a learner. And then you have a guru who teaches you. Mm. Um, and I, I, I think my, for myself to be a good Sikh, I need to learn. Right. Uh, there's nothing in my head. There's nothing worse than if somebody is asking for help and you're there to help, but you just don't know how to help or you don't have the capacity to help. That's probably the worst thing you can ever do. Right. Hmm. Somebody's asking you, oh, um, you know, I need help with this. And you're like, ah, I want to help you, but I just don't know how. Right. That's an awful feeling. I personally think to have. Right. So I always want to be in a position where if anybody asks me something, I can provide something useful, hmm. whether that's something that I've learned, or maybe I can point it out, point out another person that, you know, you can go to them and then they will help you out. Right. It's a very, um, so it comes from my, the religion. Um, and just a, a small little fact to it as well is Sikhs wear uh, turbans on their head and they're hmm. typically very bright. And the reason for that is, if ever you're in trouble or like you need help, you should be able to point out a sick in the crowd and they will help you. Wow. 
whether you're a stranger or not. Hmm. Right. So you point, you, you point to them and you say, I need help. And they are like almost mandated to help you. Right. That's, that's kind of like the culture that I come from. That's the religion that I come from. So I hmm. want to be that as well. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's where my learning mentality sort of comes in. I want to be uh, seen as a resource. So to be a resource, you need to learn. You can't stop. Yeah, I love that. I love that connection to the word too. Um, wow. I, d- I didn't think that would have a connection to like some kind of religious thing. And I, I actually absolutely lo- love that. Um I think once you you wrote about wanting to be kind of the go-to person for Canadian non uh, technical founders, um, in terms of like learning how to build or, or or be a founder, right? If there's one, let's just say one takeaway that if if there's a is a listener who's a Canadian founder listening, what is that? What is that? thing you want to teach them what is that one thing that if you you would want to impart for them that would really help them in their journey what i would say to them is is something i would say to myself when i had that uh, the failed launch with newsion is i think you have to stop thinking like a developer and start thinking like a developer founder a dev founder or technical founder what that basically means is Coding is just one little piece that you need to know. A successful founder not only knows about coding, but marketing, sales, copywriting, even personal finance. All these things will make you an exceptionally better founder every single time you add a skill. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be the top 1% at any of those skills. Actually, it means the opposite. It means that you just know enough to be dangerous but you have to be intentional about learning each of these things in isolation. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to be a better founder, pick design, stick to that for 30, 60 days, get the basics in, switch to copywriting and go on that and just start becoming more consistent um, in, in how to approach learning new things. That's a difference between a developer and a technical founder. And I promise you, every single time you add that skill in, you'll be way, way, your your likelihood of being successful goes way, way higher. So just mm. be open to learning. Yeah. Why why would the likelihood be so much higher when they're learning all these different skill sets? Because it's sometimes easier. Um, in, in fact, as a journalist, I had to like kind of persuade myself, be like, hey, even like reading books, sometimes if I'm not just reading about the same things, I knew that all these knowledge and how they complement and relate to each other in in abstract manner could contribute to this return or this creativity that I can't really imagine. So why why are you confident that it could make them more successful? This having all these skill sets that are not maybe exactly relevant to maybe right now what you're doing, which is building this app and try to growing and scaling it and getting a customer, right? Yeah, it's it's because let's say you're exceptional at one skill. Let's say it's coding for me, and maybe I'm the I'm the point one percent of that. Yeah. Now, if I have no writing skills, I can't or communication skills broadly, I can't tell any yeah. anybody about why I'm the best. Absolutely. What the overall um, equation then becomes is even though I'm great, nobody knows it. So it's almost like I am not great. <laughs> So now if I'm not even, let's say I'm not even that great, I'm like top 50%. Like that's that's how good of a developer I am or coder I am. But I can actually talk about it. I can yeah. give like 20 talks in a week or in a month. Now all these people think I'm one top 1% because that's all they've seen. Hmm. Right? So yeah. being able to, now again, you don't need to be great at, uh, at uh, public speaking and also, you don't have to be great at um, coding, but those two things combined, the fact that you have them make you way more successful than if somebody had only the, the public speaking skills and no coding skills, or they just had insane coding skills, but no speaking skills, right? right. Doctors, for example, they make a lot of money, 
you know, they'll they'll yeah. get a million, whatever, a million plus um, worth of salary. But they're horrible at investing or personal finance. Yeah. Right. So so True. it's a very known fact, but they they just don't know how to invest because like th- their expertise is in doing uh, the medical stuff. They don't know about uh, S and P. They don't know about any of these things. They don't know about compounding. So if you were a person that was making let's say two hundred k and knew about personal finance, in the long run, you'd be way more successful than this doctor making a million. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah. of the ways that that, yeah. that works. I. I love that last example you gave, which is really hard to comprehend, right? Because like you said, in the short term, the the doctor is making more money, right? That that competitive advantage competitive advantage technically hasn't kicked in yet. So it takes like a very long arc thinking. Um well one thing I I want to make sure I get a chance to ask, which is when I was looking through your list of projects you built, right, throughout the eight years, one thing that keeps ringing to me is that this is someone who not only had like a vision, but also was someone who who didn't give up, right? Like you said, after the that failure with Nucion, you were pretty bummed, but you it didn't stop you, and it could have somebody was like, "Nah, I'm gonna." I'm going to stick with full-time uh, uh, engineering and that, you know, I I'm, don't care about founders. So what what was behind that optimism? And has there been days or experiences that, that that's dimmed? How is, you know, what's that been like? Yeah, I, it's, it's mostly because I think building a startup is such a, um, an easy, not an easy bet. It's uh, to me, it doesn't feel like a risky bet at all. There are other wow. things in life that are way more riskier. Yeah. Um, even if, if even if your product fails or something that you did fails, even let's say you raised money and then your pro, uh, your your startup blew up and you know now you're back at zero. The fact that you've done that work to get your product from like zero, uh, completed from scratch to raising money and then failing, you actually come out ahead of 99% of other developers that are out there that have never done this thing. So anytime, anytime you have a project that you built out and it failed, you actually come out just by the virtue of living through it, your skill set, your mentality, your charisma, your um, your brand, brand comes out ahead of everybody else that didn't actually try at all. Uh, so that's what I always look to that that's what I always look to do, and that's actually my reward. Is that I'm learning uh, with the with the um, the honey example. I learned how powerful referrals and word of mouth is. If I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have known that. So even if it had, that had failed, that's completely okay because now I have this added knowledge into my head that I can apply for the next 20, 10, 20, 100 projects that I'm going to do, and I'm actually a step ahead this time. Um, so that's what I like to think about is every single time you you go through the loop of like, I'm going to try building something, I built it, and it didn't go through. Okay, let's do it again. Yeah. But this time yeah. your circle is such a bigger because now 20 people from before knew you because you were doing this thing previously. So now you're like, you're already starting out with 20 people that know you that you didn't know you before. So the likelihood of success, likelihood of success is much, much higher. This loop, by the way, keeps going bigger and bigger every single time. Yeah. And so the more bets you the more bets you take, this circle is going to get so much bigger that one day you're going to wake up, you're going to think of an idea and you're going to have a 100k investment ready to go or 100 yeah. customers ready to go. Right? Yeah. And so you have to always believe that and and that's why I say startups is such a um not a risky game for me because it will happen. There's no way if you keep taking the bets that it's not going to happen, there's absolutely, I, I refuse to believe it. Yeah. Wow. I, that's such a refreshing take though. Like to even that sentence you just said, which is starting a startup is not a risky bet. That is such a refreshing sentence. And, and I, and the visual you describe it as a circle, right? Because that is just so powerful to me. Um, but, so now you're someone who has drawn the circle 
quite a few times. It's quite big now. You're almost like very, and I'm sure you're very proud of how, you know, it took a lot of work, a lot of iterations. And this circle feels like a place where you finally found some momentum. What's something that still scares you? What scares me is the thing, if you spend time building something and you put a lot of love into it, yeah. if one day you wake up and everyone kind of is like, meh, I'll just move on to something else. Um, that is a scary thought. It's a very real thought as well, because that happens to projects every day and all day. Um, so yeah, that's the most scary thing, I think. I don't think I will stop building. Like that's not a real risk or a risk I have or a real fear. The real fear I have is people will stop caring. Hmm. Hmm. And how do you deal with that? Let's, if people stop caring about engine, let's say take an example. Yeah. How do you, it's, you know, if if yeah. people stop caring about engine or like anything I'm working on, well, they're paying yeah. attention to something else, right? Yeah. So what is that something else? And is that something um, that that you build up next? Can that can that can it can it be in that direction instead, right? Mm. And because you're taking so many bets, you have the capacity to do so. You say, you know, we tried on this thing, right? It it looks like the market or or folks are caring about this other thing. Can we can we also move to that thing? Right. Mm. So, so the way to reconcile or the way to combat that is go where the people are, right? If that's what I care about, if I care about people caring about me, then I need to go where they are. So if they're not on my side, whichever side they are, I need to go there. Um, and so that's the, the joy of building, right? You continue to uh, figure out what people need in real time. And your job is to build things that resolves their pain or resolves their problem and you get joy in actually giving them the solution you know every single time someone comes up and says oh you know uh you built this thing or you wrote about this thing and that really helped me you know that's that's a great reward to have yeah absolutely um yeah i love that thanks for sharing that um i have just two more remaining questions um there's one that's a fun one that I've been wanting to ask you out of curiosity, which is why, why do you hair, hate haircuts? <laughs> that's hilarious. I, I wonder where you got that from. Um, <laughs> I'd, be curious, I'd be curious to find out like where, where that was from. I, I do. I, I completely hate them. Um, <laughs> it's because I wear, I wear glasses. And you wear glasses as well. So I, I, yeah. I bet you can relate. Is when you go to a barber and you say, you know, I want medium high fade or whatever that is. You put your glasses down and, you know, they're spending 30, 45 minutes doing their thing. Then they, then they, then they're like, you know what, you want, you want to check right now? And you put your glasses on and it's just completely different from what you, what you originally thought it was going to be. And now, you know, it's already done. There's something I can say about this. There's nothing, there's no glue that puts them back on. So you yeah. just have to always say, you know, it looks great. It's awesome. Uh, and you just got to roll the punches. And so I've yeah. had that experience many times. I, I used to have the same barber, so they wouldn't know. But they just got too busy. Like too many people yeah. started coming in. They had yeah. they, they ended up being like a two-hour wait before I could see the guy. Um, so I now just go to anybody that's free um, at the time. and But that comes off with this this horror. I, I don't know. It's real Schrodinger's um, <laughs> kind of box where... You know, I put on the glasses. It could be good. It could be bad. It doesn't. Yeah. Matter. I, I don't. I don't have any control over it. Talk, talk about risky bet, right? <laughs> like, yeah, massively risky. I, I, the moment you said it, I was laughing already because I, I, I obviously feel that pain point, <laughs> and which is one reason yeah. that I go to one person all the time and I had to establish a lot of trust and iteration. Be like, yeah, okay, she knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? Um, yeah. It, it, it's funny because I've also. You know, I wear glasses, but sometimes for sports, I'll put on contacts. Um, but mm. I will, I'm glasses the majority of the time. It got to a point where I would see going to haircut as like sports because, oh, this is an event I have to put on contacts so that I don't have to go. <laughs> <laughs> and 
<laughs> issue. That's hilarious. Yeah. Maybe I should do that. I just don't I I've never gotten used to or I've never had contact lenses, but sure. it might be it might be worth getting them just for this one activity. <laughs> yeah. Um you, wait, what was the question about the contact lenses? No, I've just never had them. Oh, um, yeah. I just never tried them. Yeah. Um but I'd be curious if like cuz I know they cost per per like per lens, yeah. uh, which I'm not that big a fan of. Yeah. I think, um, well, for me, I have a small, I wouldn't even say hack, which is I've noticed that the contact lenses in the U.S. for some reason cost significantly higher than back in Asia. So a lot of times, usually mm -hmm. I will get, actually get those contact lenses from Asia and bring it over. But gotcha. I also have found that, um, well, I used to, um, I used to live in L.A. and no one wore glasses there for some reason. I actually remember being in the classroom of like 200 people and I generally looked around and noticed like I am, I am like five out of a hundred people, uh, 200 people wearing glasses. And maybe it's because it's mostly women and you know, they care about how they look. Um, so the first time I felt confident wearing glasses was actually in New York where it's just a different aesthetic, but I would say yeah. having on hand, like a, let's just say a daily contact lens that you can rely on, um, feels like just like really um, nifty to have because one in these scenarios, you can always pull it out or you, you I don't know, worry about movements and things like that. But also uh, my, my partner reminds me sometimes for date nights, um, you know, putting on context, she also makes it feel like special because she gets to see my, my whole face. <laughs> <laughs> That's very sweet. Yeah. Um, okay. I love, I'm so glad I asked that because I knew there was a, a story there and, and I didn't even know it hit so close to home. So I appreciate you sharing it. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Okay. One of the last questions I have is about SEO. You know, you once tweeted that you find SEO incredibly beautiful and you describe it almost as a digital river that flows in real life. What for you, why do you find SEO so beautiful? What inspired it? And how would you say to someone who, who doesn't really get it? What, what would you, what would you say to them? Yeah, it's, it's, it was after I had done a bunch of different kind of, um, experiments on, you know, trying to get traffic, you know, I was or trying to do marketing, you know, I was doing paid ads at some point. I was doing social media where you pay a, a popular page, a popular Instagram page, like 20 bucks to have a story of you. And so I tried a bunch of different ways of getting traffic. And I really found SEO to be the most optimal one that really resonated with me. So the way to think about it is every day there's people that have problems, right? There's people that have problems on, on this one side. And then on the other side, there's businesses that have solutions to those problems. And the SEO is literally just calibrating them at a point where they both sort of coincide with each other until a transaction happens. So mm. wh what I find beautiful about that is there's no real um, trick involved other than the fact that you need to write things in a way, as a business, you need to write things in a way that you know your customers are searching for. And that's the entire SEO strategy, right? That's what you're hiring mm. the SEO tools, the SEO agency to, to look at is what are people typing? And is there any place where my business or my product could be a good answer to their question? So yeah. that, just, that just seems super beautiful to me. Um, and the added benefit of the fact that the growth in SEO is exponential in nature where let's say you put out a first blog post, then you put out a second one, the third one, the N plus one blog post is wow. gonna take um, the the rankings, the, um, the traffic that the N posts up until now have gotten. So the N plus one is gonna be always higher, right? And then the, uh, the all N posts are gonna be linking back to the N plus one, which means, all the traffic, all the work that you put in to the end posts are going to be automatically transferred to the next one that you put up. Hmm. So anytime you write a blog post, you're starting one step higher every time. 
versus in paid ads, if I put in a hundred K or maybe a 10 K budget for Facebook ads and I get hundred sales, yeah. the next 10 K I put in, I'm starting at zero again. Yeah. And then it just keeps on going like that. So it's very linear. Whereas with SEO, it's very exponential. So it starts off very slow, but it picks up speed in year two or three. Most of the successful B2B SaaS companies that are out there, they use SEO to grow. Canva, Zapier are two examples. And so I really think it's an underutilized way of marketing and all B2B SaaS should be actually using SEO to a point where they are getting customers this way versus trying to, you know, pump more money into paid ads and whatnot. You can do that for short-term growth, but I think for long-term SEO is the go-to. Yeah. I mean, I really love the way you describe just like the compounding nature of it, like the M plus one, that, that describing what happens when, when each block vote comes out, because I mean, in my brain, I keep thinking about how, I was able to learn about kind of the building blocks of even personal development, right? How understanding compounding effects, that is actually feels like the better investment, right? And I'm relating that to how you're, you're, you're envisioning that for, for, for companies who want to grow. Um, so as kind of the last spiel, how does engine fit into this, this world, right? How does engine help with this SEO? Um, either a gap or, or like lack of awareness or problem that you see people experience? Yeah. You know, I'm always um, wary of folks that are building things in isolation. I, I And a lot of tech founders kind of have the the habit of building things and then putting them out and then it not working. That's happened to me multiple times and it's happened to basically every other technical founder that I've seen. My vision for the world is that any startup that's a good product that comes out, I want them to survive. I want them to actually thrive. Um, mm-hmm. And the first step is getting customers. Getting real customers mean there's a way for you to get revenue and so on and so forth, right? In my world, any startup that comes out can get customers immediately. And the way I want to do that is with SEO. So Engine mm-hmm. kind of fits into that philosophy where it's a platform for organic growth. So um, any tech startup that are building a product, but they don't have enough um, time to do growth and marketing, they can use Engine to start growing on their own. Hmm. The way Engine helps is currently you need a tool for multiple different parts of the SEO strategy piece. So you need a part where, you know, you do keyword research and then you might have heard, uh, you know, I need a writer. I need a place somewhere to write this thing. And then I need to now publish it somewhere. So maybe like Webflow or somewhere. And then I need to look at my Google search console to look at how are they performing? So all those mm. things are different, are in different places. And so mm. as a founder, you're now juggling a bunch of different spreadsheets or docs to figure out what's even going on and nothing is real time. So what ends up happening is all this work kind of goes through and you do it once and then you never look back at it. Yeah. Engine it's supposed to be a one-stop shop where you come in, we give you ideas, then you write those ideas, you publish them right away, and then we have real-time analytics to figure out what you put out you know, a month ago, how's that performing? If that's performing well, great. Let's do, let's do more of that. If it's not mm-hmm. doing well, okay, is there something that we can change? And what do we think we should change into? Because there's a myriad of different options or different angles you can take what are the most successful angles? So we just give you them, you know, maybe try writing it this way, right? And then you you make those changes and then we feed it back into the first step, which is what things you should write about. Now we have the data to know what works and what doesn't, we can give you better recommendations. So that's kind of the idea. I want it to be, you know, a one place where you write, uh, analyze, and then write again and analyze, write again, analyze. So it really becomes kind of like a organic growth on autopilot. That's the mm-hmm. vision I want every startup um, to be able to use. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I, I absolutely love that vision you have. And also, uh, I saw recently that you're also starting to use it for your own 
writing? Because like, it sounds like one of the isolations you're doing is also just continue to be a better writer, right? Is that something you're also trying to utilize to to grow or to like improve and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. The The thing is, I had started this one blog, uh, actually after Newsion failed, I had a lot yeah. of uh, free code uh, and just a lot of work that I'd built up over the last um, year and a half. So I didn't want it to go to waste. So I put it up on a website with like different blogs about about building a SaaS. So like if you wanted to put in authentication, how to do it. If you want to put in subscription payments, how to do it. And it was just like copy pasteable code. And that that writing, I, I think wrote 20 to 25 different articles. They did really well, but I just never went back to update them again. Mm. And there's a real friction to the way it's done right now, like the, the writing process. And so I was like, oh, we're building a better writing process. I've been wanting to update my blog for, for like years now. Why don't I bring it in and sort of start you dog coding my own product? So yeah. now my actual blog runs on engine. And so I'm actually using it and being like, ah, oh, man, if it did this, that'd be so cool. And then actually go in and build it. So then that part is live to every one of our customers. And then I can use it. They can use it. They like it. That's great. Um, and then sort of continue on from there. Dog footing your own product. That's been a real, real uh, unlock for us in terms of like daily usage and just knowing what our customers are thinking when they're using the product. Oh, hundred percent. Also, just aligns with your 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 passion, but your 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 genuine belief in the product that yeah, that you can use it for your own. Um, you're providing yourself value, so that's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I'm. I, this conversation has been so fun. Um, I'm still just really inspired by you. I'm still sitting with a lot of the the takeaways you shared. Um, yeah, I just want to mostly just thank you for being here, for sharing your your story, your the 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 the, the optimism, the optimism, and kind of that mindset of like just keep going, kept shining through, and I I. I I felt it a lot today, and I, I just really appreciate you bring bring that to the room. Thanks so much. I, I really, I really, I'm really thankful to you um, for bringing me on as your first guest. I, I, it's something I'm practicing practicing as well. So it's really nice to to have a place, a safe space to be able to speak. So I appreciate that.